you're not just competing with other basketball players, right? You're competing with TikTokers and Kanye West and stuff like that. The endorsement economy is is different today than, you know, even 10 years ago. We need to be doing that, a podcast that combines sports, social media content, and life. I'm Jonah Ballo. I'm Keith Steckler. I'm Elliot Gerard. We Need to Be Doing That is a Heartland Group production. Come on. We need to be doing that. All right, guys, I'm super excited to bring on this week's uh, podcast guest, Luke Bonner, former professional basketball player, CEO, and founder of Power Forward. And, you know, the three of us, Keith, Elliot, myself, are fans of uh, the platform, Definitely been keeping an eye on it. And it's part of what we do at Heartland Group is, you know, fueling athletes channels with uh, content, you know, the direct to athlete model and really empowering athletes to kind of own their content, own their merchandise and, and have opportunities when they step aside from the game or while they're in the game. I think it's really exciting. And Luke, why don't we start there? First of all, thanks for joining our podcast. And secondly, why don't you walk us through Power Forward and how this came <laughs> to be? Yeah, well, thanks. Thanks for having me and uh, really, really appreciate it. And any chance for me to have a captive audience to spew my nonsense, um, (laughs) always, always going to take advantage of that. Yeah, I mean, uh, we really, PowerFord really emerged out of like this whole like athlete empowerment notion. So like my background personally is I'm an athlete, you know, myself or was, I should say, Um, using athlete might be a little bit generous there. Uh, But I know I played pro basketball, grew up, my older brother and sister also, you know, had, had careers. Uh, my sister worked in the league office for a long time as well. Maybe, maybe, you know, her, I don't know. Um, but basically, uh, we, when I transit transitioned out of basketball, uh, I honestly, I didn't know what to do. Like I had all my life from 11 years old on was like, my goal is to go to college for free playing basketball. Um, and then make money, uh, be it through Euro league or the NBA, uh, playing basketball. And then you stop and you kind of, I think a lot of athletes can relate to that is like, you're, you're moving on from a big part of your, your identity, which is like pretty much your entire life. Um, so for me, I was always like afraid of like, where do I exist, um, outside of my sport? Um, I got really involved with organizing college athletes, trying to reform college athletics and all that sort of thing. Ended up working, uh, in advertising. So worked at a, at an ad shop, eventually spun up my own, uh, boutique sports marketing shop, came back to sports, uh, when, cause I realized it's like what I know better than anything else. Um, then my co-founder and I, one day we're kind of kicking around some ideas had no intention of starting a business, uh, but around this concept of, uh, building a platform where it makes it super easy for athletes to, you know, create a home base on the internet and take ownership of their brands and, you know, sell their own stuff without being dependent on, you know, third party endorsements necessarily or anything like that. And I mean, at the time we were starting, I think it was, uh, about 92% of NBA players didn't even have like a personal website up and around 2% were even selling anything online. Uh, so we kind of like, took this idea, spoke to a bunch of agents. I know talked to a bunch of players. Um, and everyone thought it sounded like really cool. Um, and our, my co-founders deep in the, you know, direct to consumer space, um, in digital advertising space. Uh, and we just started building it and then, you know, started the company, filed the paperwork, March 16th, uh, 2020. I remember that because, uh, I was a big stone cold Steve Austin fan growing up and we founded our company on 316. Uh, so I'll awesome. always remember it, uh, 
the entire world came to a screeching halt, you know, right at the same time. And uh, we just kept going. Uh, and now, you know, we kind of built that up over the past couple of years, did a Techstars uh, accelerator program, um, started with some great athletes, really focused um, on women's sports um, out of the gate, uh, particularly women's basketball, because that's like the WNBA is the best league, in my opinion. Um, and we've kind of steadily expanded ever since. And we've got some, you know, exciting stuff uh, that we're going to be doing uh, with the community we've cultivated over the past you know, almost two years now uh, through the company. Yeah, and I want to get into some of those exciting new things that we've seen a little bit teases of that on, on social. But <laughs> the the women's basketball component, women's sports component, um, you know, we have experience. We we produced and created uh, Renee Montgomery's podcast before she went over to Dan Levitard's, was creating content with her in collaboration and it, it was really cool because it was like Renee took a chance and said, listen, I just want to own this. I'm not going to go to one of the big media conglomerates. I'm going to start on my own. I want, I need help, obviously, from the production and, and creation of it. But she had a, a total mindset of like what the show was going to look like, how it was going to be rolled out. And we worked with her on it. And it was really rewarding for us to say like, wow, this is an athlete who decided to step away from the game, but she clearly has a vision to the next steps. With women's basketball and women's sports do you see sort of an explosion and an awareness about, um, you know, where the sport is going and, and the popularity around it now? And, and why do you think that is at this current time? Yeah. I mean, the, I, I grew up like really like, in like immersed in that space, I would say. Um, my sister is four years older than me. Like, and she was, she was a fucking baller, right? Like, uh, she played on the boys team in middle school. She was the MVP. She, you know, like all that sort of stuff. Like, uh, she ended up, you know, she started getting invited to Nike all American camp in seventh grade. Uh, you know, went overseas and playing like these elite level tournaments. She's winning like MVP. Like she's crazy. I think back on that, like I used to, you know, get carted around going to these camps. And I mean, I, I remember being at her blue star all American camp when I'm like a little kid playing with GI Joe's and, Gino Ariam's lap basically on the wrestling mats in the corner of the gym while these, you know, while the girls are having a dunk contest. Um, that's just like how, what I grew up around. Um, so I've always kind of like been in the space and, and I mean, especially like I'm, I'm really lucky to have her as a role model, but also just as like my older sister, cause she's awesome and everyone likes her in the space too. Um, so, I mean, th- those contacts go, go really deep. And then, uh, just from like a, like a business standpoint, I, I mean, if you look at any of the major trends uh, in any of the pro sports leagues, they generally start like two years earlier in the WNBA. Um, and, you know, we know that WNBA players' biggest fans are also our NBA players, our NFL players, you know, our, everything along those lines. And so you look at anything from, you know, kneeling during the anthem to the Black Lives Matter movement to all of the, you know, major initiatives that that have crossed over into the other leagues. Those all everything starts in the WNBA. That, that's really like like it's just a league filled with the best leaders you can imagine. Um, it's also an underserved and overlooked marketplace. That's that, that market segment that that's growing really fast. Right, that the WNBA is really young still. Right, it's it didn't even exist when my sister played basketball, which is like crazy. Right, like there was no McDonald's All American game for her. You know, none of that. Like it's not it's not that long ago. Like there was no 
there was no dream of like, I can play professional basketball someday, even for someone, you know, like her. Um, so I think people don't understand how, how young the league is and how far the game has come and how much of an impact having that league makes, you know, in the, in the talent level, you know, of the game. Like we're, we're now having players come into the WNBA for the first time where the league has existed their entire life. Um, and so now it's time to, you know, expand opportunity within that league, in my opinion. It's a, it's a fantastic point. I don't know who was talking to us about it. It might've actually been Renee. If, it, it, you're doing a, the league a disservice by comparing it to current NBA. I mean, NBA 75 years. Yeah. Think about how far the WNBA has come in the time it's been a league and compare it to early days NBA and NFL and what have you. So I think we're, we're, we're not looking at it in, in the right lens. We're comparing it to a current uh, landscape. And if we think about all that that league has done since they've started, they've, they've really been tremendous. Right. I mean, even in the NBA, right? Like NBA has a really robust like player development department, right? Where, you know, the, the league is able to invest really heavy in all these different, you know, segments around the players. Um, that's just starting, you know, kind of in, in the WNBA realm as well. Um, and so it comes back to like, you know, investment stories, all that sort of stuff. Like, like sports are nothing without context. Like, I, I don't care. Like you could watch the best players on the planet play a game. If it's in a empty gym, no commentary, and you have no idea who the people are, you're probably, it's, it's not, if you're a diehard basketball fan, you'll probably enjoy it, but like, it's not going to really mean that much to most people. Right. Um, so like, you know, making, all of it, you know, visible and accessible. I think uh, there's been a lot, obviously, from like a technology standpoint, that has allowed that to happen. But I mean, you know, still like pushing it further, and you know, having actual data right to back things up, like the the fan project, right, putting out the numbers around, uh, you know, women's sports fans and the impact, like really like brands partners receive from getting involved in women's sports, like all these data sets are like brand new, right, in in their their the numbers are insane, right? Like they're, it's, it's just, it's smart to get into, in my opinion. Well, I think also, um, you know, just from an early age, uh, girls are getting into sports in such a different way. I mean, it's been building up for a while. I mean, my daughter is seven years old and much better at basketball than I am. Um, uh, <laughs> Not saying much there. That's, that's a little fun. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I think that it, it's awesome also just to see their innovation. Like for instance, with Renee, uh, you know, we also worked with her on the first woman NFT uh, athlete NFT, uh, and she really, you know, wanted to dive in, and um, and it was just awesome to see that the conviction, you know, that she had coming out of uh, retirement and everything, and the way that she retired too. So, um, what what are your thoughts on like uh, just the the NFT space in general? Is that something that you're getting into, or? Um, you know, I know that you you have a certain platform um, uh, right now, but is that also something that you're looking to? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, I am what you would call a serial lurker um, in the Web3 NFT space uh, for a long time now. Uh, I've been very much like observing different projects, um, jumping on Twitter spaces, listening, um, sifting through you know, kind of everything, what trying to, you know, we're breaking down what we like about it, what we don't like about it, um, what our unique uh, position in that space is and have come to the realization that, you know, 
there's very a very specific uh, you know role that that technology in that space um, can can play with with what we're building. Because if you think about um, our business, it's really it's really like aligned, you know, with like the core ethos of web three, right. Where you're looking to turn. Uh, so, so in sports, uh, when you think of athletes, right. Athletes are unique in that they're not just like the labor unit, but they're also the product. Right. Um, so it's like a very unique kind of dynamic. Um, it's the same thing with the fans. Fans are consumer and product, right. Uh, leagues and teams monetize, uh, you know, the fans, um, we have inherently kind of like, you know, you know, to start in the more of like a web two realm, uh, you know, kind of build around this notion of like converting, uh, athletes and fans into more like more than product, right. And ownership and building a community around that. Um, so we're, we're working on some stuff, uh, that, you know, you'll have to kind of keep an eye on, but like to, to really, you know, drive towards a, a bigger mission, um, that, you know, I believe that, you know, we can leverage NFTs in our own way um, to to accelerate uh, impact, honestly, in the in the sports landscape. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't think of it in the traditional, or I, it's weird to say traditional sense of NFTs, but like you know what I mean. Yeah, but like yeah, not totally. just you know uh, rolling out a bunch of uh, you know JPEGs as like profile pictures and hoping they sell. Uh, we are definitely very much. Uh, like, like focused on, uh, you know, building a wave with our community um, that, you know, we're, we're really excited about. To give some context to people who may not be as familiar as <laughs> we are with Power Forward, how do you talk about the brand, the company? What is it? The company is an athlete to consumer marketplace. Uh, we emerge with a, you know, from a very simple um, goal of help athletes make money, uh, <laughs> honestly. Uh, um but really, uh, you know, it's like these values of uh, being a mechanism for authentic self-expression uh, for athletes through through their own products. Uh, so, so they're each athlete hosts their hosts their own official personal shop on our platform. Uh, their shop is uniquely theirs, but you're also part of the bigger community, which which is important in sports. Like, I don't think it makes sense necessarily to do all this in a silo because um, sports are inherently communal. Um, and then by doing so, um, you know, we're also uh, kind of have this goal of, you know, allowing fans to celebrate their heroes, uh, you know, without relying on gatekeepers, um, you know, to, to do that. So I think if you look at, you know, the stuff that we've put out today, it's not exactly what you would expect from like a strictly fanware um, standpoint. All the products, you know, are generally speak to something larger um, than the athlete, you know, uh, or we try to always take like an ICU approach rather than a look at me approach with the athletes. And I think that's where, that's where the strength of the platform uh, of an athlete comes in. You're not inherently a creator in the sense of like a creator economy. Um, but when you have that platform, if you utilize it the right way, you can like really make, uh, you know, stuff happen. Um, and so that's kind of like, you know, how we've, we've emerged out of this is, you know, we've got, we've had, you know, over, couple hundred elite level athletes, many of the top, uh, athletes, you know, on the planet, on the platform, bunch trying to get on. We're a startup. We can't do it for everyone yet. Um, but we are with what we're going to be, be doing. I think we're, we're going to, uh, be able to, uh, accommodate a, a lot more athletes, um, within our, our ecosystem very soon. And, uh, just to kind of, um, 
focus in on that. Like, is a lot of this cause related? You know, I mean, you're wearing a hat right now, invest in women, um, which, uh, which obviously is a cause and we've already kind of covered that, but is, is there other, um, causes that you're, you know, you're a part of with this? Um, not really. (laughs) I mean, I wouldn't even say it's a cause necessarily. Uh, I would just say, I mean, it's movement. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's a movement statement. Right. Uh, and that, that's always driven by the athlete. So it, it really depends, right? Like we, we are the, the tool, um, we are a mechanism, you know, on, on, on that front, but, you know, I think of like, like Katie Lou Samuelson speaks, uh, you know, a lot about mental health and things like that. Um, and at the time, you know, when she launched her shop, it was kind of, everyone was in lockdown for a long time. You hadn't seen anyone, seen anyone faces, anything like that. So it's very like her whole store is really built around like, you know, mental health and, uh, really trying to like put words and art on a shirt that, that will speak to someone. Um, when you see them walking around during a time when like, there's no connectivity with like actual face and dialogue. Um, so, I mean, it depends, but like where our, our focus, you know, uh, is really on like, uh, bringing out the best in, in sports, uh, I, I would say. Um, and, and really, you know, that's where we've seen the, the community of athletes all love to support each other, um, as much as they can. Um, and we've seen, you know, I think there's, there's a big impact that, that, that we can play, um, you know, pushing, uh, things forward on like the, you know, the, like women's equality in sports front, to be honest. Yeah. Shout out to Kelsey trainer there, right. For the invest in women. Big drop coming out with her. I don't know when yeah. this podcast drops, but, uh, Friday. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We know her and, uh, you know, really see again, talk about a statement, right. A movement that she utilizes her social channels and then obviously our partnership with power forward. Um, I'm curious, Luke, what has been the reaction in sort of the engagement like with fans? This is very interesting as a platform because you, you feel like it's a, a bit more connected, directly to that athlete, a little bit more personalized than let's say, and again, nothing wrong with a Nike or Adidas line that some of the bigger stars have. Obviously this is somewhat different, but what what have you seen from the fans and in that more personalized connection with them? It's really meaningful, honestly, uh, for the most part. Um, With a lot of the, yeah, like you said, like there's nothing, you know, Nike Adidas stuff that that's all great. The the reality is with a lot of that stuff though, it's like 99% of the resources are going to your top 1% of the athlete. And then, you know, within that realm now, that's a really competitive landscape, right? You're not just competing with other basketball players, right? You're competing with TikTokers and Kanye West and stuff like that. You know, like it's the, the endorsement economy is, is, is different uh, today. Um, than, than, you know, even 10 years ago or something. Um, but on the, on the fan front, we, I mean, the response is, is incredible. Uh, you, you see like these direct connections between the fans and the athletes seeing like, uh, you know, the, the reaction from athletes when their fans are wearing their stuff in public and posting photos and stuff like that. We've seen a lot of like these content loops where, you know, fans will tag the athlete on social with their stuff. They repost it. New wave of people wants to get in the mix, so on and so forth. Um, and I mean, again, we're, we're still like so new. I don't even know that like fans necessarily understand completely yet. Like when you, 
when you purchase from that athlete, you are directly supporting, right? Like, like that athlete. Um, this isn't like a, an endorsement or a partnership or something like that. Like this is that athlete's stuff. Um, so it's either going to support them to continue to, to do what they do. Um, or, uh, you know, some of the stuff will, uh, athletes will leverage the product to support, you know, a, a nonprofit or a cause that's near and dear to them. Yeah, it's great to hear that, you know, I guess when I was talking about the causes, it's, it's like it's kind of organic, which actually is, is nicer in a lot of ways um, than trying to force feed something. Uh, what um, are you guys involved in um, NIL uh, at all, like working with college athletes and stuff like that uh, now that? It's- yeah, we were. Yeah, we work with a number of uh, college athletes as well. Um, yeah, I mean, that that's a space that for better or worse, I've been like very uh very much working in. Um, I wouldn't say like NIL as much. I actually, I don't consider NIL reform at all. I think it's like the absolute bare minimum. (laughs) It's like, like the NCAA said, uh, college athletes, you're allowed to have a side hustle now, uh, as long as we approve that side hustle. And as long as you tell us every single cent you make, uh, you know, within said side hustle. But could they Uh, have worked with you before that? Is that like, they could not, right? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's what like we try to not even say like NIL. Uh honestly, like like NIL is like everything, right? It's not just like like endorsements or whatever. Like when I was in college, I I couldn't have Luke Bonner basketball camp back in Concord, New Hampshire. You know, like you know, I was a backup center on UMass. Um kind of irrelevant uh for the most part on a national scale, but like back in New Hampshire, there's not many 7-foot tall Division 1 basketball players and I certainly could have gotten, you know, a few hundred kids that would come to want to come to my basketball camp. Right. Um, and, and so like, that's the thing with like, with like NIL, it's really, it's really much broader than like any endorsement or anything like that it's like literally like anything that, that you might do outside of the sport. Um, and so th- that's where I guess like where I'm coming from when I say like, it's like, you're allowed to do a side hustle now, as long as, uh, you report back to us on what that is and we say it's okay. And then on the high school front too, like we have, some, you know, top tier high school athletes. And, you know, there's like, we're, I'm, we're not like about to take advantage of like any of that stuff, but like, there's, there's all these disparate rules in every state. Um, and so for the most part, by leveraging your own name, image, and likeness as a high school athlete, you're not really doing anything to, to risk your, this is not advice, by the way, you're not really not doing much to risk your, your college eligibility, uh, most states, um, but in a lot of them, you're, you'll, you will lose your high school eligibility. So th- that creates like this, like a lot of confusion, honestly. Um, and so that, that's something like, you know, there, there's some really interesting stuff that I think that still, uh, I think we could do to have, make a, make an impact, you know, with, with some of these like high school players and lives and their families, um, during, you know, I remember, I know it's hard on my family, even all of us getting scholarships, like just to like get to tournaments and games and whatnot. Um, but there's still, there's still so much red tape, um, and restrictions, um, for a lot of athletes, unfortunately. Um, Elliot was mentioning movements and causes and statements. Um, and you were talking about how this is an athlete's brand respectfully. I'm curious what the creative process is like, you know, when, when an athlete comes to you and says, I want to put this on a shirt. I mean, do you, do you say no? Do you help them counsel them? What's, what's that typically look like? 
I would say it's evolved. Um, definitely has evolved. Um, we generally will have a, we have a process and I've got like, we've got like a great team, uh, that kind of handles this. Um, so some athletes have very concrete ideas of what they want. They just don't know how to like turn that into reality. And we, you know, we selectively can, can do that. We can't do it for everyone on the planet. That's just never going to happen. What we've been seeing more recently is like a lot of athletes honestly, like don't really know what they want. Uh, like again, athletes aren't like strictly creators necessarily. Um, so more recently, I I would say more in the realm of like long tail athletes, a lot of, uh, those, those athletes are, are coming to us because they, they want to be on the same platform, right. As Brianna Stewart and Subert and whatnot. Um, and they want to be a part of some of those messages, right? So they'll kind of come to us and be like, Hey, can I do my own colorway and invest in women, pay women, hire women or something like that. Right. Um, and so we've kind of realized we've unintentionally, right. Created this, this like avenue for, for, a lot of athletes to kind of join in these different movements. Um, so it's kind of funny, right? Like we started off kind of in like this very, like, like one, one-to-one kind of like unique nature. Um, we still do that, but at the same time, it's evolved into also creating like opportunity for amplifying, you know, some of these specific messages that, uh, you know, are em- emerge out of each, each athlete's kind of creative session great to see sort of the origin stories and where it was, where it's going, and obviously probably more things to come. Uh, lastly, before we get you out, um, is there any experiential sort of activations out of this that you guys are thinking to kind of build upon, you know, meet and greets or ways to connect deeper with the fans and, and utilize, you know, again, we've, we think of NFTs from, from our standpoint too, as, as a way of uh, sort of extension of unlocking potential um, experiential activations with, with, with those athletes and really, you know, bringing them together in another space from your standpoint and the company standpoint, you have anything on the horizon in in that world? Uh, yeah, we, we absolutely do. Um, so we're, we're, again, we're viewing NFT front, uh, as, as membership Mm -hmm. basically. Um, and we have a lot of just basically, organic activities happening on a daily basis right now, uh, that, that folds really nicely, um, into that. So, uh, you know, from, I mean, attending uh, creative sessions, uh, with some of these athletes and being there to, to witness, you know, the, the genesis of some of these concepts live, uh, to early access to stuff to, you know, we're working on some, some bigger, more ambitious pieces, um, as well. Um, that will, are going to be like t- tethered to, you know, in real life stuff, um, as well. Uh, but yeah, that, that's definitely, you know, a, a big part of what we're doing. Um, and if you think about just kind of like as a business, we're going to have a presence at all these things from WNBA all-star, NBA all-star summer league stuff. Like we're at Sloan sports and like, we're always going to be at these and, and that creates an opportunity in my opinion, uh, for, you know, so-called business development activities to actually be community uh, activities moving forward. We work with the National Retired Basketball Players Association. Is that an association, or I guess you work directly with athletes that you have any connection to with the with you know retired um, uh, you know players in general? And then, I mean, my brother, my is- brother's a proud member of that. Nice, <laughs> awesome. Glad to hear. 
we, we do a series um, for them where, uh, you know, athletes tell funny stories about their, you know, their uh, careers, either in college or in, um, uh, in the pros. Uh, like we did one with Charles Barkley, where he stole pizzas with Bo Jackson to, to feed the football and basketball teams. Um, and then there was one we're releasing soon where Derek Mason and Gary Payton almost got into a fight. Uh, I just want to know if there is there any story that that we could potentially use for the <laughs> for the series that you'd like to start? <laughs> on not to end? put you on the spot. <laughs> yeah, not to put you on the spot. You don't have to. I just thought it would be funny. To ask. I mean, the 2011 lockout year. I was in Lithuania, uh, and a lot of NBA players were over there, and the European Championships were there. So every every team basically had their preseason there. Um, so pretty much every basketball player on the planet descended upon a uh, little Lithuania. And that was quite an interesting stretch, I would say in time, but uh, I'll leave it at that. For the basketball standpoint for you, you know, obviously probably the goal is the NBA and playing the league. What was your travels like overseas? I mean, I've, I've worked with and obviously interviewed a lot of the players who have played overseas. Some find it unbelievably life-changing, you know, in the sense of getting culture, getting to experience different things and getting paid to do so, sort of a travel abroad. Some have said they didn't like the experience. They prefer to be in the States. What was, what was your experience? I mean, I'm a deep down, I'm like this emo kid at heart. Uh, so I'd say early, early twenties in, you know, Eastern Europe got, got pretty, uh, you know, it was, listen to a lot of bright eyes and crying and things like that. No, uh, um, no, I, I, it was a great experience. It's, it's, it's really hard. Uh, I think mentally, um, in that I I think like now I'm way more comfortable being anywhere and being settled. Mm -hmm. I, I would say like, because I've, because of that experience, but, um, you're, you're, you're in a lot of isolation, honestly, like you're and you, and you can never really feel settled because there's not concrete rules and players get like abruptly fired and sent home out of the blue all the time. So I feel like I never really like unpacked my bags in any situation I was in. I had like round trip flights for guests that I never used. Cause I'm like, oh, I might not be here in a month, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and that's a pretty unhealthy way to live. Um, and for me, it's like, certainly wasn't like a study abroad program or something like that. Right. Like I'm, I was, you know, mostly in Lithuania and it's basketball is really important there. And people in Klaipeda, Lithuania didn't want to see me out enjoying myself uh, when I should be focusing on making sure they are winning basketball games. Right. Like that was, um, you're an import product. Um, But like overall, like I'm dying to go back there, like, and just like visit it again. Um, I, I, I hit a point where for me, like I played in the same team in the same city two years in a row and it started to not feel foreign to me. And that was just like a really weird, I, I guess, like experience for me. And, you know, I'm doing that. Like I'm missing Christmas with family. My friends have jobs and are getting married and all that sort of thing. And I'm over there watching the wire and playing basketball and, you know, coming home and hanging out with no, for the summer with no responsibility. Right. Um, so, I mean, it's like, it's, it's a super, you know, probably the best job you can have out of college. Um, but like, I, I wish I, I always say like, I wish I got like a remote sales job or some shit while I was there. Cause I have all this time, right. Like to, to do something where I wouldn't care if I got fired. Um, but I would still like develop like something on the professional side. 
um, as well. But I also wish that I just like, when I was done, I should have just gone and signed in like a really amazing city, even if it was like a lower tier team and just gone there and just like not gone to practice, just like not done anything and just like hung out, had a vacation <laughs> and got sent home. I like that. Uh, <laughs> um, Cause I, I, I do think like, like where you are is going to have a big impact on that too. Um, from even from like a, how a coach is going to operate. Like when I'm in Lithuania, we're doing double sessions the whole season and like, they had me doing box jumps and stuff like that. It's like, I'm not jumping any higher at 27 years old. You know, there's no, (laughs) it's all about preservation at that point. Right. Um, so I I think those, those pieces are like really important and can have like a a major impact. And I mean, I saw guys get cut from like crappy teams in Lithuania and then finish the season on NBA rosters. So I also like wish I knew not to like give a shit what like any, you know, GM or coach over there, like maybe thought of me or something like that interesting learning lessons. It, now we see obviously the global change, you know, I was with the Timberwolves when they brought over Rubio and, you know, hearing him and the way he spoke about the game and just like, he felt like a professional. He played obviously on those Olympic teams against the United States. Um, obviously we've seen what Luca has done and, and how unbelievably transcendent and what kind of star he's going to be. Did you play against any players that didn't make it to the league, but you thought could have been kind of one of those stars maybe out there that, yeah, that sure. should have been? Yeah. I mean, Adam Hongo was on my team in, in Hungary my first year. He was a draft and stash uh, with the Spurs. I, I didn't, he was like 18 years old when I was playing mm-hmm. with him. Um, but like he's someone where, I mean, I really think he, he would have been like a Manu type or something like that. Wow. But he's on FC Barcelona still. And it's like, that's the other thing people don't realize is like, like for some players, would you rather take a shot at the NBA, you know, make league minimum or rookie scale contract, but have to, you know, live in a completely foreign city? Um, or do you want to go be like, the man in Barcelona, Madrid, you know, all, all these amazing places in Europe that you grew up watching, right? Like your whole life. Um, so I, th- I think sometimes it's like, like, like as those leagues have grown, um, that can be more appealing um, sometimes than, than taking the risk on the NBA. I'd rather be the cool. man in Barcelona, I think. Yeah. Well, like well, Adam not even the, the man in Connecticut. Expect, I always expected him to be in the NBA. But I mean, I played against, like Boban was over there, Valentinus. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Those are guys I played against. Um, trying to think of who, who Sonny Weems, uh, Ty Lawson was over there for a while. I mean, one of my teammates was Arinze Onuwaku, and he, he finished our season uh, on sure. the Timberwolves um, 2011 ish or something as well. Cool. Well, it's great perspective. It's awesome to hear your story. Again, we can't thank you enough for joining us on the podcast. And for everybody out there, go to pwrfwd.co, power forward. Um, Luke, where can we find you on the social channels and and obviously track what you're up to and especially power forward? Yeah, you can uh, follow me at at Luke E. Bonner, L-U-K-E-Y-B-O-N-N-E-R, two N's in there. Don't be a smart ass. Um, and so, yeah, I'm on Twitter talking a lot for the most part. And then if you want to see pictures of my kids, you can follow me on Instagram, but that's probably less interesting right now.
That's a wrap for this week. Thanks for listening to the We Need to Be Doing That podcast. Visit we need to be doing that.com for more episodes and contact information. 